Hello and welcome to a special podcast from the Hoover Institution. We'll hear from George P. Schultz, the Thomas W. and Susan B. Ford Distinguished Fellow at Hoover, and James O. Ellis Jr., an Annenberg Distinguished Visiting Fellow at Hoover. In their conversation, Secretary Schultz and Admiral Ellis delve into several of the key issues taken up in a new essay series from Hoover's Schultz-Stevenson Task Force on Energy Policy entitled Reinventing Nuclear Power. Here we are at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, where we have a task force studying policy issues in energy. We're also very closely in touch with all the scientists and engineers here at Stanford and also at MIT. So we're constantly looking at the energy landscape. And what do we want? We want a form of energy that is competitive economically. We want it to be safe. And we want it to have as little polluting carbon as possible. So among other things, that leads us to the area of nuclear-generated energy. It produces no pollutant at all. And it has proven a safety record. We have to find a way to make it competitive. And of course, that will be enhanced when every form of energy carries its true cost. That is the cost of its polluting. So Jim Ellis, a retired admiral, once in early in his career, was a captain. And he was in command of a carrier. So Jim, you had a nuclear power plant on that carrier, didn't you? I did, sir. We had uh, two nuclear reactors, two? as a matter of fact. Well, tell me, were they safe? Did you feel comfortable <laughs> riding around in the ocean with two nuclear reactors under you? Well, I certainly did. As you might imagine, uh, for military applications, uh, certainly uh, the robustness and the, uh, and the strength and integrity of that and the, the level to which they were protected was, uh, was extraordinary. Uh, they were shielded well, uh, but the most important piece was the training and the culture that had been uh, crafted in the Navy nuclear program over many, many decades, over 60 years, as a matter of fact. Of 60 years, no, no accidents? No accidents. Safety? Uh, safety was, uh, is the primary imperative, of course, and uh, as well as, uh, as effectiveness in, uh, in, in combat roles for the, uh, for the U.S. Navy. But the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, the nuclear enterprise has done well, it's a uh, very small but, uh, but focused group of individuals. They're well-trained and well-led and held accountable. And uh, as a result, you get the kind of performance that the Navy nuclear program has had uh, for many, many years, and quite frankly, that the U.S. commercial industry has had in the days since, uh, since Three Mile Island. Uh, because well, here's another thing. After you left the Navy, you chaired the nuclear industry's safety inspection team. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's exactly right, sir. I was uh, proud to be the president and CEO of what is known as the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations. That's INPO. It was literally founded by the industry within months after Three Mile Island as an important self-regulatory body and standard setter for the safe uh, operations of commercial nuclear So you power. would take guys around to each other's power plants we did. And we if were, you saw something you didn't like, they'd fix it right out of there. It. It, was, it was mandatory. Their participation uh, was required. Uh, but they came to appreciate the value that an independent assessor 
who didn't just expect performance to standards of minimum regulatory compliance, but also but demanded excellence in the operation of commercial nuclear power plants. So one of the points here is that we're going to have safe, secure nuclear energy. It isn't just the physical things that matter, but the quality of people and their training. So they manage this enterprise well, and that can be done and has been done. Well, in a real sense, sir, that's the uh, that's the responsibility of leadership in any organization is to set those standards and expectations. We talk a lot about the culture of organizations, and in the case of nuclear, there's a lot of focus on the safety culture appropriately, since that's the uh, one of the most important attributes. But uh, the role of the leader and the leadership team is to shape those cultures over many, many years, standards and expectations and uh, and you can institutionalize those levels of performance, and you can institutionalize levels of safety. Now, one of the reasons I asked you about the nuclear power plant on a carrier is that's a small nuclear power plant. So all of a sudden, we've been thinking of these big baseload power plants, but now we're thinking about smaller reactors that produce, that can they can be buried, right? You manufacture them, you bury them. So if you can get it going, you can get economies to scale from manufacturing, and you reduce costs a lot in the construction process by this. Well, Is that that's, right? That's exactly right, sir. And the small modular reactors are one element or one option of, uh, of uh, advanced uh, commercial uh, nuclear electricity generation. And it's just as you described. Uh, they are uh, much smaller than those that are currently being produced. They are capable of being produced in the U.S. because uh, uh, they are not as large a size and don't require the massive uh, steel forgings. That okay, so what's the, what's the hang-up? Why aren't we going to town right now? Well, the, uh, I think there are a couple of issues. First, uh, the economics of it, quite frankly. Uh, the, uh, the low price of natural gas uh, makes uh, nuclear... Uh, well, natural gas, wait a minute, natural gas price right now does not carry the cost of the pollution that natural gas produces well, as compared with nuclear. So a revenue neutral carbon tax is the proper way to go about that. Well, some mechanism that uh, is, is one that, uh, that I've heard you speak of often and, and seems to make a great deal of sense. But in any case, the true cost, the all-in costs of, uh, of energy sources need to, uh, uh, to be weighed as we explore what options we have for the future. Okay, but now where does it, how do we stand on our ability to manufacture a small nuclear reactor? Because of the size of them, that's well within the capabilities of existing facilities within the U.S. Uh, example, shipyards and the like that uh, are, have capable welding capabilities and the like, but not on the scale that would be required to, uh, to build the large-scale nuclear reactors of the past, can easily construct these. They would be transportable either on the back of, uh, of heavy lift trucks or on uh, on rail cars to the uh, sites where they would be deployed. And as you described, they're self-contained, most of their components are internal, and they would be buried for, uh, for both security and, uh, and safety purposes. Well, let me ask you about the question of refueling. How long can they go before they have to be refueled? Well, that's a function of the design, and, uh, but on the average, probably three to five years are the numbers that we, uh, we hear. The challenge here, though, that I think you put your finger on, Mr. Secretary, is that we've not yet built one. These designs have been in existence for a number of years, but because of the low price of natural gas 
and alternative ways of generating electricity with all their costs, as you've highlighted. No one has yet put forward a procurement plan to, to buy and build and therefore pass through the regulatory process a design for these. And, uh, and that's something that I think would be critical to establishing their credibility and the capability going forward and measuring the real all-in costs. You have to build so, so you have to have somebody who will build and sell it. You have to have a customer. And you have to have a regulatory process that is willing to understand what it's doing and both regulate, but also do it in a way that is encouraging and not stopping things. Yes, sir. But I think, you know... Now, wait a minute. We had a conference here once, and we had a guy from the regulatory business. And what does he say? Well, that was Commissioner Bill Ostendorf, who's uh, currently serving as a commissioner on the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And uh, he's quite confident that the NRC is ready to, uh, uh, to move this process forward. They've explored all of the designs. They're well familiar with what they, uh, what they entail. But because there's no customer, because there's not one that's been bought or procured, they can't, in good conscience, begin to regulate and then license and approve a design for which there is as yet no, uh, uh, no legitimate demand. So uh, how do we generate a demand? How do we get a customer? Well, I, you know, philosophically, I think we're at a, a good point uh, to, uh, to assess or reassess, if you will, our energy situation in this country going forward. Yeah, we better do that because the need is great. The need is great, but we've also, uh, the low cost of natural gas has given us a, a bridge capability, and indeed natural gas is often talked about as that. But the bridge, the question is a bridge to what in terms of the, of the future? And while we're not in a crisis, while there isn't an energy shortage, while the prices are not going through the roof and, and the like, this is the time uh, to conceive and, uh, and, and assess uh, an energy policy for the nation plan going forward that understands the all-in costs, looks at the legitimate needs of how are we going to replace all these coal plants that are going to be shut down under the new EPA regulations? What are we going to replace the aging nuclear plants that we have with as they age out in the decades ahead? If we replace them with fossil fuels, even natural gas, our emissions in this country will actually go up rather than decline, and climate change and global warming is still, and the environmental concerns still need to be considered. So here we are in summary. We have needs for an economical source of power. Nuclear can do that properly handled. We have a need for something that's safe to operate. And we know through experience in the Navy that that is very much possible after all. There's never been an accident in 60 years in ships with nuclear reactors on them. And we have a form of power that produces zero carbon, which is a big thing from the standpoint of the climate issue. So we want it to be competitive. And of course, any source of energy should bear its true costs, including the costs it imposes on society by what it emits, its pollution. So here at Hoover, we've been advocating a revenue-neutral carbon tax and you know, that's beginning to catch on. I saw a whole bunch of companies in Europe called for a revenue to a carbon tax. So it's beginning to catch. They were oil companies. They were oil companies. I don't know what, they, they, they don't, they've never heard the word nuclear. But anyway, I think we should all be thinking a little bit about the nuclear area and do everything we can to be sure it's fully explored and understood because it has great potential.
Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.